Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see you today. Would you stand with us, please? We want to worship the Lord this morning, lifting our praises to him in song. Where you go, I'll go. worship. We would like you to turn to your neighbor, 
Say hello. Greet each other this morning. We're glad to have you here worshiping with us. we are so honored to be with you, to be able to worship you, lift our voices to you, and know that you are smiling down on us because we've gathered together to hear your word. God, we want to just ask blessings this morning, Father, as we walk this journey, Lord, knowing that you are guiding us, directing us, leading our path so that we can rub shoulders with those in the world, Lord God, that do not know you. And I pray, Lord, that we will just be such a living, breathing testimony of you, Lord God, that they, they want to be drawn closer to you because of how we act and how we walk and how we talk. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You are the King of kings, and we are so honored to be in your presence this morning. We love you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated as we continue, please.
some of the Bible college students, I think, just goofing around, and they were thanking you, our church, for towels, soap, toothbrush, so the simple things in life. Uh, it's so great to be able to uh, connect with the International Baptist College in the Philippines, and uh, that, that was what that film clip was all about. For a number of years now, we've helped their college we sent funds to them. This year they are on our birthday gift to Jesus list. 
I believe, for $4,000. And, you know, money goes for, our money goes further over there. And, uh, and so I want you to be in prayer diligently that God will help all of us reach this big goal this year on our birthday gift to Jesus list. Please reach in the book rack right now and pull out uh, the friendship folder somewhere near you. And if you'll be so kind to put your name on it and give it to somebody sitting near you, we will appreciate that a lot today. Boy, we had such a terrific uh, service last night. You know, the weather was so threatening. Uh, and we thought, boy, we'd just be talking to ourselves up here on this hill. And I'll tell you, we had a nice crowd of people come together. And the first service was nearly filled. And uh, this is excellent today for our second service. And uh, we thank you for coming out. And, uh, I know that the roads were a little threatening in some places. And people actually just couldn't get out to church this morning. We're glad you're here, though. And uh, I think I know for sure the Lord is here. Uh, this is our third week that we are that we're gathering funds together for our birthday gift to Jesus. And uh, the people that we're giving these funds to are real people, have real ministries, and it's such a big encouragement to them. It really is. You know, it's not much of a sacrifice for us, really, after it's all said and done. But for them, it's the world. It's really the world. To buy them, as you saw in the video clip, some some books, some notebooks. It's just the simplest things. They're so appreciative. And what we're doing is we're, we're banding together with these national pastors around the world, supporting them, helping them, lifting them up, because there's a great revival in the Philippines. And actually, the Philippines, are, they are sending missionaries to America. You saw that, that one couple in New Jersey. They're a missionary to America. And so they're sending missionaries around the world, and uh, they're doing uh, a terrific work for Christ. So pray about your part. If you do that, we'll, we'll reach this goal. Give more to Christ this Christmas than any other single person on your Christmas list. And uh, that's always an awesome thing to do because it keeps Christmas in perspective. And then give by faith. Each year we have people who say, you know, I'd like to give to this offering. I'd actually like to give a lot to it, but I don't have anything. You know, I'm just trying to come up with what I need. Well, let me encourage you to ask the Lord to lay a, a number on your heart. God, what, what would you have us give? And then when he shows you, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be scared. Just expectantly pray it in. And we see people doing this every year. You know, they might say, Lord, I'd like to give $500 to the offering. I'd like to give $1,000, whatever it is. But I don't have it. Well, if you provide it, I'll give it. And that's a challenge to God, you know. I, I think God says, oh, okay. If that's the way it'll work, I think I'll provide it for you. In some unexpected way, you can help. Our Sunday school classes have goals. I, I walk by one of the rooms. They have their poster up. They're reaching up for their goal. So... We're depending on all of our people to participate as they can. Now, Wednesday night is you-know-what here at the church. It is our annual Thanksgiving Eve service. 7 o'clock, let's gather together and have a great time of celebration, thanking the Lord. We're going to have communion together. We're going to have an uh, open mic, I'm sure. People can share a few testimonies, things that God's doing in their life. And it just, it's always exciting, really, on Thanksgiving Eve. And it makes the next day so much better to come together as the family of God here in the church. So if you have people visiting you, coming in town from other places, bring them along. They will enjoy the service a lot, I'm sure. All right, let's stand together, please, as our ushers come this morning, and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day which you've given to us. you provided so much for us, Lord. We thank you for providing food for our table at home. And now we've come to provide food for your table here at the church. We thank you for our jobs, a means of income, strength, and emotional strength to go to work each day, uh, to do the hard things of life, to provide 
we pray now that as we come and bring a portion of that to you, that you'll use it uh, not only here in our church, but through our great missionary family around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. appreciate our instrumentalists, our singers that help us each week up here on the platform. They are, they are excellent, and uh, we don't take them for granted. We thank them a lot. It really helps us here in the church. Uh, let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of John today, chapter 6. John chapter 6. I'd like to talk to you today about food for the soul. In John chapter 6, Jesus is uh, performing one of his greatest miracles in the first part. He's feeding 5,000. Actually, Bible scholars say it certainly must have been about 20,000 uh, when you include husband, wife, children, kids. Uh, this is a formidable feat. Uh, he only had five barley loaves to start with and a few fish. And uh, he did a very stupendous thing. So much so that we're going to begin reading in verse number 14 this morning. Then those men, when they had seen the sign or the miracle, 
that Jesus did, said, this truly, this is truly the prophet. Now, this is a reference to Old Testament uh, prophecy right here. It was Moses who said, I want you to be on the lookout for a prophet like me one of these days. And so, remember, it was Moses who led the children of Israel through the wilderness, and God fed them for 40 years. And so now here Jesus is reinstituting this whole feeding of all these people. And they say, listen, this sounds like the person Moses was talking about. This is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. This is the last thing that Jesus wanted. Jesus didn't want to be coronated king. That would be later. He wanted to go to the cross, and that's a whole lot different from being a king. And so the cross had to come before coronation, before his kingship. And so these people were ready to take him by force and force him to be a king. So Jesus took off to get away from the crowd to be alone. Well, these people were very persistent. They kept looking for him, and over in verse number 24, they found him. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Uh, they would not allow Jesus to have many private moments. They were so desperate, these people, uh, to have their needs met. And here is a person who actually knows how to produce food. So Jesus doesn't really answer their question. He goes right into their problem in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves that were, were filled. And here he gives them a word of exhortation. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Jesus said, listen, you're seeking me for all the wrong reasons. You're looking for a handout. You want something to eat. I want you to seek me for everlasting life. I want you to come to me for life. And remember, that was the proposition that Jesus talked about in John 10, 10. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, eternal life. He said, you're seeking for the wrong thing. Now, leaf over to verse number 35, because this is our golden text verse this morning. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Those two little words, I am, they're used 23 times in the book of John. I am is an emphatic grammatical construction. The Lord states to the Jews, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And that's in John 8:58. He took upon himself the title of deity from the Old Testament scriptures. This was the title that God used of himself when he approached Moses to go down to Egypt and to face Pharaoh to deliver the people. You remember the story in Exodus. God was calling Moses on this special mission. It was a hard mission. But Moses did his normal thing. He kept making excuses. You know, he would, I think he made about five of them, really. He kept making excuse after excuse until he ran out of excuses. And then he said, well, whenever I go down to Pharaoh, who am I going to say sent me? And the Lord said, just tell them that I am 
sent you. That's the name of God in the Old Testament. I am. So it's interesting, here in the book of John, Jesus starts to use this Old Testament designation of none other than God Almighty as His designation. And there are seven I am's that Jesus created into a metaphor to explain what he could do for you and what he could do for me because he is the great I am. And we're looking at the first one here this morning in John chapter 6, verse 35. He said, I'm the bread of life. The next one is John 8, 12. He said, I'm the light of the world. The next one is John 10, 9. I am the door. The next one is John 10, 11. I'm the good shepherd and the Good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John eleven twenty five is the next one. I'm the resurrection and the life. And John 14, 6, and you're all familiar with this. I am the way, the truth, and the what? And the life. No one comes to the Father except he comes from me. And the last one is John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. In our English Bible, we have these two words, I am. In the Greek language, there are two words, ego and me. Ego is the emphatic pronoun for I, and a me is the verb to be. I am. Uh, these people back during that time knew about that designation. It comes from the most important word for God in the Old Testament. I was reading a you know, the Internet is a wonderful thing uh, for study. It really is. I was reading what we call an interlinear, and what that means is, is, is the Hebrew letters are across the top and the English are down here, and the Hebrew letters make no sense to me at all. But uh, underneath are the English translation. And it's interesting, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, God goes by the name Elohim, and that simply means strong, powerful, creator God. But when you get to Genesis chapter 2, he adds another name, his personal name, we call it, his personal name to Elohim, and it's Yahweh Elohim. And so this term, I am, in the Old Testament is Yahweh. Now, back during that time, they couldn't really pronounce that word because it's made up of four consonants. They call it the name of four letters. And so because they couldn't pronounce that name, they took another name of God, which is Adonai, and they took the vowels out of that name and they inserted them between the consonants in Yahweh, and they came up with a pronunciation. And the pronunciation for I am is Yahweh in the Hebrew. And I found that it's used 68 hundred times in the Old Testament. That is a lot of times. Now, in English, we take that word Yahweh and we kind of bring it down to Jehovah in our language. But uh, Elohim simply means the creator God, strong one, mighty leader, and Yahweh means Israel's redeemer because he used that term whenever he talked to them in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, and he says, listen, I'm going to redeem you out of Egypt. Yahweh, I will redeem you. And so here the Lord is coming, and the Lord Jesus, and he is using this Old Testament designation, I am. And so we begin in verse number 25 this morning with a group of confused people. They were seeking Jesus for the wrong purpose. This was at the apex of his ministry. People were actually running after him, and Jesus was running away because there were so many people. Uh, he had fed the 5,000, and these people had more food on their mind, and they would find him as fast as they could. They wanted to make him king. They finally caught up with him, and he begins to talk to them about two kinds of food. Two kinds of things people pursue in life, food that perishes and food that endures. 
First of all, he deals with the food that perishes. Look at verse 27 with me, please. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Actually, the construction of this verse can be read this way. Stop laboring for the food which perishes. These people were running after him for food. He said, stop it right now. Let's not go there. Don't do that anymore. Then what he does is he turns that thing and he says, listen, the thing I want you to labor for, follow me here, is for the food which endures to everlasting life. Seek everlasting life. Start seeking that. Well, these people were seeking him for physical bread. Uh, it, would, it would be very common for them to do that because hunger was epidemic. They were seeking him for the loaves rather than for the love of him. Now, Jesus didn't mean here, stop doing anything to seek your family's welfare. He didn't mean that. He said, listen, you just have to have a perspective. All you're thinking about is your material needs. And Jesus said, this has to stop. This won't work. You have to stop right now. You have to expand your world to seek the most important things, and the most important thing is everlasting life. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 uh, is a good exhortation. Let's read this together, please. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, the Bible is very specific that we are to take care of the needs of our family. Our family, our extended family, people within our circle that need our help. Uh, the Bible says, listen, you've got to do that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says this. Let's read this. Even while we, we, we gave you this rule, whoever does not work shall not eat. Now, that's pretty specific, isn't it? And Paul was addressing the Thessalonian Christians, and they were just hanging out, goofing around, hoping that somebody would feed them. And he said, listen, if you don't go to work, you shouldn't eat. Then, let's take it one step further, way back to Genesis, chapter 3, verse 19. And I find this interesting. Let's read this together. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Part of the, part, part of the thing of living in the human race is the fact that the rest of our life, the Lord says, listen, you're going to have to earn a living by the sweat of your face. And so we toil on. Uh, we labor and we labor and we labor. And, and you know, when I think of our congregation and how hard you, you work, uh, I pray for you so often that God will give you the strength to keep working because I know that's what you do. You get up in the morning, you run hard all day. You collapse at night, you get up the next morning, you run hard all day. And we do that. Uh, the Bible says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. There often isn't any relief to that, really. I was reading an article on the Drudge Report the other day that uh, the new 60 for retirement is now 80. It's changed. And people used to so look forward to retiring at 60 and having enough money to just kind of like go fishing, do something like that. But a lot, of, a lot of their money recently has evaporated in the investments they made. And people are having to work longer and longer and longer. And as, as that becomes more of reality, this becomes more true. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground from the sweat of your face. Well, these people in our story for this morning, these people I like to call materialist, they were looking to Jesus for a free handout, kind of like a... Uh, they just wanted a free meal, that's all. And in many lands, these people are called rice Christians. 
When the food dries up, the converts dry up, the commitment to Christ dries up. They were seeking Jesus for what they could get. Uh, we do this today in a more sophisticated way. People are attracted to people who tell them that God wants to give them the desires of their heart. Sometimes you can turn on the television and some minister on there is telling people, listen, you can get what you want from God. And they're abusing the scripture, really. And oftentimes they use Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And when you hear that, you go like this and say, well, that's a good deal. I have a lot of desires in my heart. But the last part of that verse is predicated by the first part, delighting yourself in the Lord. And I'm convinced that God would be glad to give you the desires of your heart if he places the desires in your heart. And the closer you get to Christ, the more sanctified your desires will be and God will say more times than not yes to the things that you ask him because he changes your desire. You begin to desire things that are... When you start out in life, you begin to desire things that are only good for you. And then as you grow into a more mature Christian, you start desiring things that are good for the kingdom of God. And you start praying for the real issues of life. And then God says, okay, that's what I want to hear. He talks about the food which perishes. And then he talks about the food which endures. Labor for the food which is, endures to everlasting life. How do people get everlasting life? Well, Jesus, he made a great statement in Matthew 4, 4, relative to this. Let's read it. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said, this is the real bread. Now you, now, you have to put bread on your table at home, but listen, there's more than that in your life. You have to live by the word of God that proceeds, the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Proverbs 3, 1 says, My children, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart, for they will give you a long and satisfying life. You know, as a person becomes more and more mature in Christ, in the Word of God, uh, they begin to grow and develop into the person that God wants them to be. And to me, that's one of the most challenging thoughts in all the world, to know that, you know, God gave us life. He came to us and we were saved. He gave us a new purpose, and we actually fulfilled that purpose in our life. That's exciting to me. Now, not only is the food that endures this right here, this is called the written logos, but it is also, according to Jesus, the living logos, Jesus himself. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I want you to labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. And what he means by that is, I am the bread of life. I want you to remove the obstacles out of your life that hinders you from coming to me. That's what it means. Move the things away that would stop you from coming to me because I am the bread of life that you need. Uh, these people didn't understand that, that Jesus is the bread of life. And, and so they began to say to him, look at verse number 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? See, they keyed in on that word labor, and they said, okay, if, we're go if you're going to bring up the subject now of everlasting life, what are we going to do to get that? What can we do to have everlasting life? They, were, they thought that Jesus was saying they had to perform something, earn everlasting life. And, you know, people kind of like that because people are looking for that. What can I do more? That how Will God be happier with me if I do more? I could go to the temple services more and I could give more money and I could be kinder to the poor. And, and would that work? There are plenty of things that I could do. I find in this approach a legalist. And I think that's most popular today. 
the Pharisees were really good at that. They kept looking for more and more things that they could do to please God. More and more things that would make them more right with God. But uh, Jesus really answered them succinctly right here in verse 29. Look at it. This is a verse you're going to need as a Christian. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, Christ. They're saying, listen, what are the works that I can do? Give me more things to do so that I can earn everlasting life. I'll do more works, 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 works. And Jesus said, listen, there, by the way, there is something you can do. And the only thing that you can do is to believe in the one that the Father has sent, and that's Christ. Just believe in Christ. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense in our world today. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. People love to do things to make God happy, to do things to think that God would change his mind about them. And Jesus said, listen, stop. Don't go there. There is only one requirement that God has, and that's believe in him whom he sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting Jesus and him alone as Savior and Lord. Aren't you glad of that today? Just one thing. Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Take your list and throw it away. Get rid of it. All you need is one thing, and that's to embrace the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Trusting Jesus is the beginning of a relationship. And these people were a little bit put off with that because they didn't want that. They wanted more rules and regulations because they thrived on that. Just read the story of the Pharisees in the New Testament. Just give me something more to do. Some, something more that my life could be more ascetic, uh, more introspective, more hurtful. You know, it's easier to do a list than it is to have a relationship. You know that? And that's why a lot of people like a list. Relationships are kind of hard, aren't they? They take time. They take work. They're volatile. Uh, sometimes you think you got it, and then you've lost it. Uh, but when a person comes to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the beginning of a relationship. And that's what Christianity is. Christianity is not doing a list. It's having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's having a friendship. It's having communion with Christ. It's the Holy Spirit in us giving us the desire in our heart to want to follow God's ways. And what God does is the Spirit writes on our heart the laws of God. And so what we do is we serve God spontaneously through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a list. The Holy Spirit is writing these things on our heart. And he's giving us the desire and the power to carry them out. And this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, now follow me here, is, has to be a relationship of love. Um, a relationship of love. You know, love will do what rules can never do. Why do we press on in the service of the Lord? Because we have a list? No. It's because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because He first loved us. He poured out His love on us, and we reciprocate. This is love. Not that we love Him, but that He loved us and gave Himself a payment for our sin. Why do we press on? Why do we reach down and give to Christ each week here in our church? And why do we try to raise money for missions? It's because we love Christ, that's why. It's because when we turn around and we look at the, the cross that used to be back there, <laughs> that will one day appear in January. When we look at that cross, uh, it evokes in us a love that cannot be suppressed by the things of this world. And so a relationship with Jesus Christ is the thing that will keep us going from the beginning 
to the end. And that's what Jesus is talking about right here in verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Seek him for spiritual food. Jesus is for our soul what food is for our life. Well, they still didn't get it. He's trying to explain it. They still didn't get it. And in verse 30, he says, they say, now what sign will you perform? And I find this, to me, this is almost humorous. Jesus has been doing all these miracles, feeding all these people, uh, walking on the water, stilling the storm. He's been doing all of these things. And they said, okay, you brought up this thing. Now what will you do more? How will you... Will you create a bigger sign to authenticate yourself? I, I kind of look at these people now as sensationalist. People always think, seek this. Pep, we, I guess we could call them pep rally Christians. Uh, people going to the next big meeting, the next seminar. Whew, you know, I've been to a lot of big meetings in my life. Uh, after a while, they're a little tiresome. But, you know, they look good on the surface and they get our attention and we think, oh, isn't this great? But, you know, after a while, boredom sets in and we lose interest. Uh, these people wanted a bigger miracle. And I think what they wanted is to Jesus to say to them, listen, I'm going to do what Moses did. I'm going to give you a free meal ticket for the next 40 years. And they, they would have probably said, that's what we want. Thank you a lot, Jesus. They wanted something sensational. Well... Here we find that after all is said and done, uh, Jesus said, listen, the thing that you really need is me. I am the bread of life. I'm, your, I'm what you're looking for, for eternal life. I came down from heaven. He alone can satisfy our spiritual hunger. You know, the supreme hunger in life is that inner gnawing in a person's life that is never, that is never cured until they come to Christ. St. Augustine said this, in every person there is a God-shaped vacuum. There's a hole, in other words, in every person's heart. And uh, the only thing that will ever fill that hole is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we were made for Him. Well, the Bible goes on in verse number 37. And he says here, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Uh, the Father draws people, verse 44 says, how does he do that? He draws people by the preaching of the gospel. I'll tell you, the gospel is a wonderful story, and, and I know that you can hardly tell it if you tell it truthfully without crying. Because it evokes in us such an emotion. And that's why you and I are called to go preach the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we tell the gospel story and that's how people are drawn. Uh, how the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for you and for me uh, this perfect person to die on the cross for the undeserving for you and me. And so when we tell that story, you know what happens? Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll do what? I'll draw people to me. That's how the Father draws people to the Son. He draws people when we share the gospel. Whenever you have a friend and you're trying to bring them to Christ, just tell them what Jesus has done for them on the cross and do it with passion. There are circumstances, too, in life that draw us to Christ. Harder times in life. Would some of us in this church be a Christian if we didn't have a hard time in life? If every day was sunny and all the bills were paid and we never had a health problem, would we ever come to God? I don't know. Pain is the avenue through which God enters into our life. When uh, we have this gouging pain, uh, it's an entrance for God to come into our life. He'll keep those who come to Him. Well, in verse number 37, it says, Come to me. And in verse number 47, it says, Believe in Him. Believe in me. 
And this is the end of the message today. Uh, whenever we come to Christ, He wants us to believe, believe Him, who He said He was. And He said, I am. I am. That's who I am. And you know, if Jesus is God, Yahweh of the Old Testament, uh, He has something to say. And we're there to listen. And we believe in Him, and uh, we embrace what He has to say, and we begin to follow Him. In a book entitled God's Psychiatry, Charles Allen tells this story. As World War II was drawing to a close, the Allied armies gathered up many hungry orphans. They were placed in camps where they were well fed. Despite the excellent care, they slept poorly. They seemed nervous and afraid. Finally, a person came up with a solution. Let's give each child a piece of bread to hold before he's put to bed. This particular piece of bread was just to be held, not to be eaten. The piece of bread produced wonderful results. The children went to bed knowing instinctively that they would have food to eat the next day. That guarantee gave the children a restful and contented night, life and sleep. Well, whenever we come to Christ, He gives us the food that we really need. And you know, we can go to bed at night knowing that everything is all right. And when we get up tomorrow, we're going to have more food to eat because He's going to feed us. He's going to feed us not only physically, but He's going to feed our soul. And I'll tell you what, with that you can sleep at night. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder if you're here today and maybe you've been seeking Jesus for all the wrong motives. Maybe you've been coming to Christ to see what you could get materially in your life. Uh, maybe you haven't been seeking Him in a relationship with Him. Maybe you've been trying to seek Jesus and make Him happier with a bigger list. You're a little bit legalistic. Or maybe you're just looking for the next show, uh, the next big thing. You want something sensational. Well, Jesus uh, is waiting for you to come to Him and embrace Him for who He is. And if you will believe that Jesus is the great I Am, Yahweh of the Old Testament, then a lot of things are going to change in your life. You're going to read His Word and actually obey it, live by it. Your life is going to change because He is the great changer of lives. And so I want to encourage you today to let the great I Am come to you. Embrace Him as your Savior and start to live for Him. And live carefully by what the Bible says, not by what you feel or by your emotions, but simply what, what does he say in the Bible? The written logos of God. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you are the great I am. And that when you feed us, we'll never hunger or thirst again, spiritually speaking. And there's always a meal the next day prepared for us from you, Lord, because we're your children. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to seek you for a love relationship and nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, please, as we sing our invitation song, as we sing on this first verse. If you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life, life of a friend.
said? Amen. In the foyer, we have our ladies out there. They have the tickets ready for you to purchase, to bring your friends, your acquaintances, maybe the guy that cut your hair, maybe the person that waits on you in the, in the restaurant. Bring them out for a night of uh, fellowship here at the church for our annual Christmas dinner. Pick up some tickets. Now, before we leave, I was just looking at Danny up here and I was just wondering if that shirt glows in the dark. And so, folks, would you, uh, you kind of like douse the lights? I, I want to I see. So, whoa. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> I told him I have a shirt just like that I wear in the summertime. Every time I wear it, people make comments. And so I, I couldn't miss this opportunity. I think it looks pretty good, don't you? I like it. Turn around and shake hands with your neighbor. God bless you. You're dismissed. I'm so glad you in my life. I'm so glad you came to save me. You came from heaven to earth to show. I lift your name.